Let's take them and turn in them to the book of 1 John. Guys, we're going to finish chapter 1 today, verses 5 through 10, uh, in a message that I have entitled, Light and Life, Darkness and Deception. And so with that, let's go before the Lord. Father, we thank you just for your goodness and your graciousness, your mercy. We thank you, Lord, that you love us. We pray, God, that we would have ears to hear you today. God, that we would respond in, in, in the appropriate manner, Lord, of not being hearers of your word only, but that we would be doers. And so we give this time to you. We pray that you speak according, uh, Lord, to your heart for us, and we'll give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. David wrote in Psalm chapter 8, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him? You know, God, when I consider how vast the heavens are, I see the enormity, uh, the complexity, the variety of all that you've created. The moon, the stars, the planets, the solar systems, light years beyond our own. God, it staggers me. It stuns me to think that I would even enter some kind of equation in your mind and that beyond that you would care for me, take interest in me, or have concern for me. Yet this is the wonder of the love of God. Not only that God thinks of you, takes interest in and has concern for you, but that he wants to know you and to be known by you. He wants to have fellowship with you. He wants you to share in his love and his grace and his mercy, and he's made it all available to you through the person of his son, Jesus Christ, who has loved you and has given himself for you upon the cross. God, John says, was manifest. He was tangible, touchable. John says, we heard him repeatedly with our ears. We studied him carefully with our eyes. We touched him physically after he rose from the dead. We've seen, we bear witness, and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. And he said, I'm sharing this with you so that you might have fellowship with us and truly, our fellowship is with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. And so with that, let's turn our attention, beginning in verse 5. We'll read through the end of the chapter, and then we'll come back and kind of look at it piece by piece. So let's draw our attention to the fifth verse of the first chapter of 1 John. This is the message which we have heard from Him and declare to you, that God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make Him a liar and His word is not in us. So this is the message which we have heard from Him and declare to you. 
Now, I mentioned this to you last week, but I believe it's worth repeating. John is here establishing for us absolute, uncompromising authority. In the first four verses, he developed for us the truth of who Jesus is, that which was from the beginning, the word of life, that eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. Guys, Jesus wasn't simply an emanation from God. He was the very incarnation of God. John says we were with him. We heard him repeatedly. We handled him physically after he rose from the dead. And I'm telling you, this is what he taught us. This is not a secondhand account. It's not a, I heard it from a friend. It's not some carefully crafted story or even John's own personal opinion. This is God's personal revelation about himself through Jesus Christ. John says, we heard it from him and we're declaring it, that is, we're sharing it with you. And at the risk of offense, ladies and gentlemen, I'm so glad that God, or pardon me, that John here essentially cuts through all the riffraff, eliminates the value of personal opinion, and says, here's what God says about himself. Isn't that what's truly important? I mean, uh, people like to postulate. They like to theorize or hypothesize, however you want to say, well, you know, I think God is like this. Or, you know, I think God is perhaps like that. Well, can I just say, it doesn't matter at all uh, what you think, and it doesn't matter at all what I think. What matters is what has God said, and what is His message to us, and how is it that we're to relate with Him? John says, here's the message that we've heard from Him. Notice, that God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. Ladies and gentlemen, there is so much to unpack in this single statement. First of all, it tells us something about the fundamental, intrinsic, kind of inherent nature of God. And the Apostle John, more so than any other individual in Scripture, has revealed to us with resounding clarity, exactly who God is. In his gospel, there he is, he's writing, he's recording the words of Jesus. It's in John chapter 4, and he writes, God is spirit. Well, now that tells us something about God, doesn't it? It tells us that he's not flesh and blood like you are and I am, but that he's spirit. And then he goes on to explain, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. So he's making it known. It's not outward ritual that connects you to God, but it's inward relationship. We connect with him. We worship him in spirit. And here's the big buzzword for our culture, right? Truth. Later on in this epistle, he'll write, God is love. Well, now that's good to know, isn't it? I mean, that tells us something of who God is, his character, his intrinsic nature. Here, he tells us something else. He says, God is light. And then he underscores it 
He emphasizes it. He takes all the ambiguity out of it by restating it in the negative. In him is no darkness at all. Now, in the Greek, John kind of piles negative upon negative. He says, and darkness in him does not exist, not even one bit. John says, God wants us to know that he himself is light. And light, by pure definition, has no darkness in it at all. If there's darkness, there must be an absence of light. And God is only light, therefore no darkness at all. Are you following me? And we note that God is not a light. He's not the light. He simply is light. It's no wonder then that the Bible has so much to say about believers and their relationship to light. Peter tells us that when we were saved, that God called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Paul says, you are all sons of light. In Ephesians 5, he says, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk, that is, order your lives, you see, as children of light. Now, I'll give you one more. John chapter 3, verses 19 through 21. Jesus speaking, And this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light, does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. Those who do evil, those who love their sin rather than the Savior, don't love light, won't come to the light. Why? Because light is a revealer. Ephesians 5, again, all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light, for whatever makes manifest is light. And this is one reason why you'll discover, and I would say almost categorically, that those who are walking in sin, uh, that is making a habitual practice of unrepentant sin, uh, rarely, if ever, spend consistent time in the Word of God. Why? Well, what does the Bible say? Your Word is a, come on, lamp to my feet and a come on, light to my path. It reveals the truth of what's happening in my heart and in my mind, in my life. And if I have no heart for repentance, I don't want to be confronted with that. I prefer just to be left in the dark on those things. Now, of course, the problem with being left in the dark is that it doesn't alleviate the issue. Uh, You may be blind to it. Others may not see it. Or maybe you think it's some sort of secret sin. But can I just tell you, God sees it all. And guys, forgive me for overwhelming you with all kinds of Bible scriptures today, but I'm going to give you another one. The book of Hebrews says this, 
For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of the soul and the spirit of the joints and the marrow as a discerner of the thoughts. Even notice the intent of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. You see, we may be blind to it or prefer to be in the dark concerning it. But God sees it all. How so? Because God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. The psalmist said it like this. He said, if I say, surely the darkness shall fall on me, even the night shall be light about me. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you, but the night shines as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike. Wait, what? How does that work? Let me tell you. God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. Now, family, this is where things may get a bit touchy for you, but I just have to say it. What this means is that if there's a problem in your relationship with God, Guess whose fault it is? It's not his. God is light. And there's no darkness in him at all. It's not his fault. It's your fault. There's no sin in him. He hasn't made the breach. He hasn't made the break. He hasn't walked away. You have. God hasn't abandoned you. You've abandoned him. And perhaps you're thinking, well, I don't know, how have I abandoned him? Well, to continue my bold, blunt course of communication, through some sort of unrepentant sin in your life. It could be pride. It could be lust, bitterness, unforgiveness, gossip, slander, anger, malice, Filthy language, wrath, all, none of the above. I trust the Holy Spirit to shine a light upon that for you. But here's what the Bible says. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor his ear heavy that it cannot hear, but your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. Well, it, it, it seems like God isn't hearing me. Maybe he's not. Listen, if there's a problem in our relationship with God, it's never on God's end. It's always and only on our end. And Listen to me. That relationship is restored. That reconnection is made through repentance. And we'll get more into that in just a few minutes. But light and darkness cannot coexist. There is no middle ground. There is no, shall we say, gray area where sin is concerned. Light is life, growth. Darkness is sin and death. Light is good. Write it down. Read it later. Psalm chapter 73. 
Truly, God is good, and He's only good. Asaph was the author of Psalm 73, and he had almost forgot that. He almost lost sight of that. He almost slipped. He almost stumbled. He said, until I went into the sanctuary of God, and then I understood. The idea is he went back to church, and he regained that eternal perspective. God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. And in verse 6, it says, If we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Well, having the understanding of verse 5, verse 6 makes sense, doesn't it? If God is only light and we say that we have fellowship with Him, but walk which implies movement, the way that we order our lives. If we walk in darkness, that is sin, uh, things contrary to His Word, which is light, which is truth, then we lie and we don't practice the truth. Wait, are you saying that someone can say or imply, uh, allude, even convince themselves that things are all peachy between them and God when in reality uh, things aren't right at all? Well, that's not what I said, but it's what the Bible says. And if we're going to have fellowship with God, who is light, we must walk in the light, meaning we have to lead lives of obedience to the Word of God. Now, I want you to notice here in verse 6 that truth, and by the way, uh, terms like truth and light and word, they're all touching on the same thing from different angles. Do you see that? But I want you to notice here in verse 6 that truth isn't something that's simply known intellectually. It's something that is lived out morally, okay? John says, if we say we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness. Now, again, this isn't the occasional lapse or stumble, but you know, you're leading a life of unrepentant sin. He says, we lie and don't practice, that is, make a habit of doing the truth. Now, this is where I circle back to John chapter 3 and verse 21 in the words of Jesus, but he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. You see, truth is never just intellectual, but it is always moral. It doesn't simply exercise the mind. It impacts the whole of who we are. We are to be, well, the word is, doers of the word, yes? Not hearers only, deceiving ourselves. Now, I should say this. John is not in this section of Scripture speaking of sonship. He's speaking of fellowship, okay? Things that breach our sharing in the things of God. That's the context into which we are uh, delving and diving, as believers, we're to safeguard our relationship with God. And the way that we do that is through abiding in Christ, rendering obedience to His Word, 
continuing in prayer, in fellowship, you understand. Or another way to understand that, we're to walk in the light. We're to practice the truth. You can be saved and out of harmony and no longer in fellowship with God. Now, look at verse 7. It says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. By the way, let me circle back to something in verse 6 here. Uh, I want you to notice that John is not nearly as sophisticated as is the modern man. I mean, he thinks in simple terms, things like truth or lie. Not this modern ideology of what's true for you or, you know, speak your truth. Or Listen, there are no shades of gray in the word of God concerning right, wrong, truth, or lie. Something is either true or it's a lie. If it's True, it's only true, and it's truth for all. If it's a lie, it's only a lie, and it's a lie for all. Okay, truth is absolute. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, meaning if we're leading a life of general obedience to the word of God, not harboring uh, known sin or resisting the conviction of the Holy Spirit at a particular point. We're not being stubborn. You know, stubbornness is as witchcraft, the Bible says. Idolatry, in other words, we're elevating our sin above obedience to the word of God. He says if we're, if we're walking in the light, if we're being subservient to God's word and the conviction of his spirit, we have fellowship with one another. Now, some interpret John to be saying that you know, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, then we have fellowship with one another as believers. Uh, now, that's certainly true. But in the context, he's speaking of fellowship with God, okay? When we walk where he is, we'll have fellowship with one another. And being in fellowship with God is to be in that place of continuing a continual cleansing by the blood of Jesus Christ. John is telling us that even in our lives of obedience, of abiding, of walking in the light and practicing truth, we're still not perfect. There will still be sins of omission, sins of ignorance, things we may not even be cognizant of. But in this place of fellowship, there is a continual cleansing by the blood of Jesus. Again, it's not salvation. You've been washed initially. Think back, there they were, the disciples. Think back in your minds to the Last Supper. And there was our Lord, and he was washing their feet. You remember that? And he comes around to Peter and he begins to, to assume the position of the servant. And Peter's like, oh, heck to the no, right? Lord, you ain't washing, you ain't touching my feet. Um, you know, far be it from you kind of a thing. And Jesus says, listen, Peter, if I don't wash your feet, then you have no part of me. 
And in classic Peterine, is that a word? Like Pauline, Peterine fashion? Peterial fashion? I don't know how you would say that. Peterine, we like that. But in, in classic Peter fashion, he went from one side all the way to the other. Well, well, then, Lord, don't just wash my feet, wash my hands, wash my head. I mean, the whole thing. I mean, I want it all. And what did Jesus say? He said, listen, listen, Peter. Just throttle back a little bit, right? He said, the one who's bathed needs only to wash their feet to be completely clean. Now, that, that phrase kind of loses its relevance to us in our culture because we don't live, you know, in, a, in a kind of mud or, you know, kind of huts with like dirt floors. That's where they'd take a bath and they'd get out of the, the bath. They head to bed. They walk across their dirt floor. They'd have a little basin there, wash their feet to be completely clean. And so the idea that Jesus is saying, look, you've already been washed, you're already saved, but as you go through life, man, you get a little dirt on you, and it needs to be dealt with on the regular, you see. And that's kind of the idea that John is presenting here. As we walk in the light as he is in the light, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us. This word cleanses is in the present tense. In other words, it's continually cleansing us from all sin. Now, a couple secondary thoughts here. Uh, number one, if I'm walking in the light, and this is kind of, kind of circles back to what I was just saying. If I'm walking in the light and you're walking in the light, not only will we be right with God, but we'll be right with one another. Uh, a break in my fellowship with another believer is quite possibly indicative of a break in someone's walk with God, be it mine or theirs. Um, now, in other words, how can I be right with God and you be right with God, but us not be right with one another? Well, no, that doesn't make sense. That doesn't, I mean, I'm doing the math. It's not adding up. I can't connect those dots. Now, I suppose a grave misunderstanding could occur, but even still, the effort to reconcile in such a situation should be in order. God hasn't given us the ministry of being okay with separation. He's given us the ministry of what? Reconciliation. Number two, we know, again, to underscore something I've kind of touched on, we know that John wasn't speaking of sinless perfection by this phrase, walk in the light or else there would be no sin to be continually being cleansed of in this state. Does that make sense? Here's another one. I'll give you a bonus one. I want you to notice that it's not ceremonial rites or religious activities that cleanse a man of sin. It is not the act of baptism. It is not the sacraments of communion. It is not going to church every Sunday, serving in the fellowship. It's not doing good deeds. It's not, you know, making your tithe and all of the things. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And we note that the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us of all sin. Sometimes people feel as though they've blown it so bad they can never be forgiven. They think God could never forgive their unfaithfulness to their spouse or that abortion they had or whatever the case may be. Ladies and gentlemen, the only sin which can't be forgiven is the sin that rejects the blood of Jesus Christ as payment in full. 
And think of the audacity that it takes to say to God, my sin is greater than the cleansing power of the perfect sacrifice found in the shed blood of the spotless lamb of your son, Jesus Christ. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Think about that. If we say that we have no sin, verse 8, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Guys, we note that walking in the light involves both consciousness of sin and confession of sin. Did you see that? So walking in the light involves both consciousness of sin and confession of sin. And I like what John says in verse 8. He says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. Translation, um, you aren't deceiving anyone else. Okay? You're not deceiving, you're certainly not deceiving your spouse, and you're not deceiving your children or your friends, but you've obviously deceived yourself. But if you're telling yourself that you've achieved sinless perfection this side of eternity, John says, the truth is not in you. How so? Because anyone dealing in truth, come on somebody, anyone dealing in truth knows we sin all the time. Uh, Be it in attitude or in action, in thought, in word, question. A no show of hands on this one. Because if you show your hand, you'll show, it'll be, it'll be automatically, it'll disqualify you automatically from your position, okay? So, quick question. How many of you have perfectly glorified God today? You know, you've rendered perfect praise You have rendered perfect worship, perfect honor, perfect obedience. You woke up, man. Your heart was bursting at the seams. You had this radiant heart just giving glory to God. Listen, God is worthy of being perfectly glorified continually, eternally. And if we fall short of that, If we fall short of his glory, guess what that's called? That's sin, ladies and gentlemen. That's missing the mark. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And listen, I'm not saying, well, we all make mistakes. Guys, can we leave this Mamby, pamby, we all make mistakes. I'm only human kind of reasoning in the trash, okay? I'm a sinner. 
Let's call it for what it is. Listen, Jesus didn't come to call the, we make mistakes, we all make mistakes, people. He didn't come to call the, we're only human crowd. He came to call sinners to repentance. That's who I am, and that's who you are. And if you need forgiveness, which you do, then you need to come to grips with that fact and confess your sins to God. Psalm 32, I acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Guys, look at the words he used. He's not saying, well, you know, God, I made some mistakes. Well, God, I'm not perfect and you know I'm only human. Was any of that said? He said, man, my sin, my iniquity, my transgression, my iniquity, my sin... Uh, Proverbs 28, he who covers his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. Listen to me. God's grace and mercy is extended to sinners. Not the, well, nobody's perfect, people. Write it down, guys. Look it up later. Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. Luke 18, 9 through 14. Now, John isn't saying that you need to agonize over every possible thing that you may have done wrong. When we spoke about this in in verse 7. But when the Holy Spirit shines light upon sin in your life or my life, we have then a responsibility to confess that sin if we're to remain in fellowship with Him. So then... What does it mean to confess my sin? Well, the essential meaning, you've heard me say before, is to say the same thing as. It means to agree with God. It means you're coming over to His side and you're looking at it from His perspective. God, you're right. What I have done is sin. I have envied. Look, I'm calling it out. I'm laying it out in all of its ugliness before your throne, God, before you. I haven't had a little bit too much to drink. God, I was drunk. I was in sin before you. I've partaken in that which placed your son upon the cross. I've refused to forgive. I've harbored bitterness. You get the idea? You're not watering it down. You're not making excuses. You're being real. You're being raw. You're humbling yourself in repentance before Almighty God, and you're echoing the words of David, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. And when we do this, God is faithful, that is faithful to the promise of his word, and he is just, meaning he does not compromise his righteousness because his wrath was satisfied upon the cross. He is faithful and he is just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Yeah, come on, somebody, say amen to that. Not some of it, not most of it, not all of it, except that one really bad thing we did. He cleanses us of all unrighteousness. And Karen, we're going to make our way toward a close here, but... uh, let me also say this. First John chapter 1 and verse 9 is often used evangelistically. I do it all the time. 
Uh, and though it's appropriate in regard to its application, you should know that that is inappropriate with regard to its interpretation. First John 1.9 was not written to unbelievers in how to uh, you know, come into the presence of, of God to be saved. It was written to believers who need to restore their fellowship with God. That's why it's like called the Christian's bar of soap, so to speak. We confess our sin. That reconciliation, that restoration of fellowship with God that's been broken through sin in our lives. And in verse 10, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. I want you to notice the downward spiral. In verse 6, we lie and do not practice the truth. We're lying to others. In verse 8, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So we're lying to others and then we lie to ourselves. We deceive ourselves. And in verse 10, it caps it off. We make God a liar and his word is not in us. We're self-deceived, denying his word. When the scriptures are clear for all, notice, have sinned previously, and fall short presently, continually, of the glory of God. Let's not make God a liar. Let's honor the truth, walk in the light as He is in the light, that we might have fellowship with one another, and that our lives might bring glory to His name. Amen. God, we thank You for Your Word. May your word abide in us and we in your word. And we're asking that you search us, O God, that you know us and try our anxieties and see if there be any wicked way in us and lead us in the way everlasting. I pray, God, that we walk in the light as you are in the light we might be quick to confess our sin as your light shines upon it, reveals it to our hearts, God, that you be glorified in our lives. 